why am I here? I mean, Stephen's here. Let's have him come up here. I, that's what I'm thinking right now. It's like, uh, I mean, wouldn't that be okay to do in this first week? We could just have him come up and preach and uh, maybe not. I'm supposed to be prepared all the time, Stephen. So, uh, uh, it is really great to have Stephen and Kaylee with us. Uh, and I'm just really excited for you to get a chance to meet them over the next couple of years. You know, you may not know this, but we select our fellows more than a year in advance. And so over the last year, I've had a chance to spend a little bit of time and have conversations with Stephen and Kaylee. And I feel like I'm on pretty good grounds in saying, you're going to really like them. And you're going to enjoy getting to know them and spend time with them. And, and Stephen and Kaylee, likewise, with this congregation, um, we are delighted that you're here. And uh, we're grateful for the investment that you're going to make in us. And we look forward to the time together. So... Also, I want you to know that over the last six months, I spent quite a bit of time with Tim and the Shawnee campus, as Nathan mentioned, and, um, and they are doing great, uh, and they're really flourishing, and it is just fun to see the Spirit of God alive and well and working in them and through them uh, as they enter, if you can believe this, their sixth month. Uh, can you believe it's been six months? Um, we've had many new people and families arrive there at Shawnee. I'm guessing some of you have gone out and peeked in. If you've not done that, I encourage you to do that on some Sunday morning. Don't all do it at once, okay? But uh, just check in, check in on that. See how things are going. Um, and it's really fun to have now Christ community caring for and serving the Shawnee community. And I just want to stop him for a moment and say that I recognize, and I'm grateful for this, that it's your generous hearts that made this possible. And I, I just want to let you know that our work of multiplying churches, of multiplying disciples, multiplying leaders there in Shawnee is now underway. And it is really fun to see it alive and active. I am so thankful for you um, and for your generous hearts. And I'm grateful as a pastor. I say this frequently, how um, what a privilege it is to serve with such a generous church who loves the idea of multiplication, loves the idea of giving themselves away. And that's just not, I, I don't take that for granted. We don't take that for granted as pastors. And we just want to, and I just want to stop in this moment and say thank you um, for the joy of serving you in that way. For those of you that are new with us this morning, you, you, I want, you need to know where we are, kind of locate yourself in this moment. Uh, we've been spending time as a church looking through a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's a letter that we know uh, as the book of 1 Corinthians, if you're familiar to the Bible. And believe it or not, church, uh, we're nearing the end of this book after, uh, I think, since the 1st of January, right? So almost six months in this letter. And as we've discovered, as we've read into this letter, we know that this church had issues. And Paul was frequent at the way he just addressed these issues line by line, head on. Specifically, these issues addressing them, giving them important instruction for, specifically for the church in Corinth, but also more broadly for the wider church today. And for the last three weeks, we've been looking at, at Paul's um, instruction or help for all of us on what it means to be practicing our gifts the ways that God has gifted us, the purpose and the proper use of what we often refer to as the spiritual gifts. And although it's difficult to contain all of the aspects of the spiritual gifts into one sentence, we across all of our campuses have been trying to work from one definition over the last four weeks that I don't know about you, but I have found to be very, very helpful. And we've, we've said it this way, that a spiritual gift is a spirit-empowered in, uh, ability 
freely given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. Okay, that's a mouthful, but let's just, this is really helpful for us if we think about, okay, what is a spiritual gift? And some of you may be coming and new to this and you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. It's, it's important for you to orient yourself a bit on what is the spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a spirit-empowered ability freely given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. And if you were with us last week, you know we came to this most familiar, one of the most familiar passages or writings of the Apostle Paul, and it is the, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, and you can probably finish the rest. I, now, I've heard this at weddings, I've, I've had it hanging on our walls, and to be honest, before last week, it, had just, it was sort of tired and worn out and and maybe just a little bit too syrupy for my taste. You know, even just, maybe I'm a little cynical when I hear that, and the greatest of these is love. You know, it, it's like, I know that's true, but I just, it just didn't quite sit right until last week, I must admit, I saw the 1 Corinthians 13 in a whole new light. And I recognize, and we all ought to be cautious about this, right, that my familiarity with this love chapter had actually robbed me of the context with which Paul was writing. Because Paul wrote this for a reason in the middle of his instruction on the spiritual gifts. And the light bulb clicked on for me. And now I wish I hadn't thrown away my wall hangings. Actually, they probably should go. Uh, But how we serve, how we think about our spiritual gifts makes all the difference. We must begin from a heart of love. And this will be, as we dig into 1 Corinthians 14 this morning, this will be incredibly important for us to remember. Because Paul is very intentional of making the link for us and communicating the significance of love. As we heard Nathan read this morning, chapter 14 begins with these words, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Do you see the connection? Before he moves into this new teaching, this new instruction, this new issue that he wants to address with this church, he's saying pursue love. He wants us to make sure we understand and don't lose sight of what he's just written in the letter in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. You see, if we're not living out our spiritual gifts from a heart of love, it's easy for us to get off track with these gifts. And when this happens, the gifts can actually begin to divide and become a source of conflict. And one of the areas that has divided the church over the years is exactly where Paul is going to address this morning. It's not a new issue. It's not a new problem. It's not a new, something new in our 19... Uh, hundreds. This is something that has been problematic through the issue for through the years, and we are in the year 2000 now, aren't we? Uh, so it, even into the 2000s, it's the practice of speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, as some of you know, Sharon and I moved here to Kansas City from uh, Tulsa back in 1993, and when we left Tulsa, uh, Tulsa was considered the epicenter of the charismatic church movement, uh, kind of following the lead of Oral Roberts. And uh, 
and his ministry there and many others that were leading the way in the charismatic church. As I was prepping for this week, I stumbled across an article, uh, a 1991 or 1981 article, no, 1991 article from the Tulsa World that opened with this line, Roman Catholics have the Vatican, Muslims have Mecca, independent charismatics have Tulsa. So that's the, that's the context we were living in in Tulsa, and we left in 1993. And, and to be fair, I just want to make it clear that this term of the charismatic church is very broad category. And I also want to acknowledge that God has used greatly and is using greatly churches that would fit into this category. But as a young Christian in the early 80s, I felt firsthand the division that can come from this practice of speaking in tongues without a heart of love. Sharon and I attended the University of Tulsa, and in my freshman year, actually, a group of friends uh, became involved in a church that taught and practiced, taught you how to and practiced actively the gift of speaking in tongues. And one night in a Bible study together, my friends wanted to teach everyone in the group uh, how to do this. I listened, and I still remember that night so vividly, I listened Something just didn't feel right, though, and I didn't speak in tongues that night, along with others in the group. And there was a clear sense of disappointment from the tongue speakers in the group, and, and almost looking at us and me with a sort of pity that I couldn't become close to God like they were. It was clear that I had been relegated to a second-class Christian in their minds. And although it's more than 30 years since that happened, and I often struggle to remember things that happened last week, I can still picture that night and see our small group of friends sitting in that circle, friends that we had become very close to in a lounge room in one of our dorms. And as I remember it, that was the last night that we all met together for Bible study. Now, I, I recognize, as I reflected on this this week, I recognize that my friends were young and immature, just like me. And they didn't intend to divide. And my immaturity and how I responded likely contributed to the divide. But there was pain and division. And I, I know that's not the way it was supposed to be. For you see, the spiritual gifts practiced without love can easily confuse and divide. Now, whether you've encountered firsthand something like this or have only heard about it in secondhand accounts of ways that the gifts can be divisive and distorted, or even if you're here this morning and maybe you're just curious or skeptical about these types of gifts, here's one thing I think we all need to hear this morning as we begin. The gifts are not meant to divide because the goal of our gifts is to build up the church. We heard it read this morning. We'll see it all throughout 1 Corinthians 14. The goal of our gifts is to build up the church. Now, before we dive into Paul's letter, I've got to admit to you that there's a lot of chapter 14 that I just don't know what Paul was meaning. I have no idea. Now, I don't know if that makes you feel good 
that you're not alone when you read this chapter, or if it scares you off because you don't want to listen to the next 30 minutes for someone who admits that he doesn't know what Paul is saying. But if it makes you feel any better, I've led, read a lot of theologians this week trying to understand. And I'm not alone in my lack of understanding. Someone I greatly respect, a theologian named Craig Blomberg, he said this in his commentary. He said, successful application of the more controversial parts of chapter 14 hinges in large measure on successfully defining terms and choosing from a wealth of competing interpretations. And just so you know, we can't possibly cover the wealth of competing in interpretations in the next 30 minutes, much less defining all of the terms. So I just want to admit right off the bat, here are some things that I don't know about chapter 14. I hope you'll hang with me. It's a small crowd. I'll know if you leave, okay? So uh, <laughs> hang with me here. This is what I don't know about chapter 14. When we read about tongues today in this chapter, are these different languages like Spanish and French? Well, it probably wasn't Spanish and French. I think I probably do know that. Uh, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Is, are these different languages or is this some special prayer language, some way of communicating to God in a, a language that is not known? I don't know. And, and we see the gift of prophecy that Paul writes about here. Is prophecy in this letter, what Paul's describing here, is it similar to what we do here and preaching on Sunday morning? Or is this someone specifically foretelling something that is to come? I don't know. But here are some things that I do know. And this is where I want us to hang on to this morning. That these tongues, these utterances, were utterances of sound. These tongues were utterances of sound that were unintelligible and required someone to interpret to make them known. Paul also tells us that this speech, this type of speech, was primarily a speech directed to God. And when Paul writes about prophecy, we know that it was some type of speaking that was to be helpful to the congregation. This is really important for us. The, the prophecy is speaking of some sort of instruction that was to be helpful to the congregation. And we also know that the church in Corinth, as they were gathering together for worship, they were totally missing the fact that the goal of our gifts is to be building up the church. You see, instead of building up, Paul will make it clear that they were getting puffed up and proud. And one of the ways this pridefulness is on display is through the practicing of one gift in particular, tongues. Now, before we open up the text and see what Paul has to say, I just want us to, pa to pause here for a moment because we're about to look at a church in the first century and, and could sort of easily begin to look down our noses at them like, boy, they really got issues. And let's just admit as we begin that we have issues too. We often miss it as well. If Paul wrote us a letter, though, he, he would point out things that we were messing up. He would point out ways that our pridefulness is on display. And because of this, I've come to realize this week that I don't think chapter 14 is really about tongues and prophecy. It's about what happens when any gift gets distorted and when we as the church forget why we have been given gifts. 
So if you want to follow along, open up your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's dig in. I think we'll find three things that Paul says are important for all of us to remember as we utilize our gifts for the good of the church. He will remind us that the gifts are for the good of all, that the gifts are to help others encounter God, and that the gifts should bring peace. So look with me beginning in verse 4. I heard Nathan read this earlier. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church, builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. You see that, so that, at the end of verse 5 there? Paul's letting the church at Corinth and those of us who would read his letter later on know the purpose of the gifts, that our gifts are for the good of all. Now, it isn't clear that whether the Corinthian church just didn't know this, like if this is brand new instructions, like, oh, gosh, we didn't know that. Or if they just weren't putting into practice what they had been taught. But they clearly thought that speaking in tongues was the greatest gift, or many in the church thought that speaking in tongues was the greatest gift, and it had kind of become a way to show off, as Paul says, to build up themselves. A, a litmus test for proving if they were, that they were really better than others or closer to God than others in the church. And so when they would gather, many would start speaking in tongues, and as Paul writes, they would build themselves up. They weren't thinking of others. They... they only thought of those that had the gift of tongues, who may be able to join in with them. And in a best-case scenario, those who didn't have the gift of tongues were left twiddling their thumbs as this happened in the service. Now, I, I know I, this isn't what Paul says, but this is what I'm imagining. Just imagine if that breaks out in the service, those that aren't participating, okay, what do I do now? And in a worst-case scenario, those who weren't speaking in tongues are made to feel like second-class Christians. Paul affirms here the gift of tongues, but he wants them to know that the way that they are using their gift is making the church all about them, and they're missing the goal of the spiritual gifts. Now, to help them understand this, he, he contrasts the use of tongues against the gift of prophecy, and he lifts up the practice of the gift of prophecy because everyone can understand it, and it builds up the church. And just because he lifts up this gift of prophecy, the practice of intelligible instruction given to God through his people, it doesn't mean, by the way, that he's anti-tongues. We see that in there. He, even he wants them to practice it. He just says for, that they ought to be considering the good of all. So let's pause just for a moment and ask ourselves a couple of important questions. As you think about your gifts and the way you've been gifted, are you using your gifts for the good of others? As I thought about this this week and thought about my own life, I, I have to admit to you, and I hope I'm not alone in this, that I often think about the gifts as primarily a way for me to find satisfaction and joy. Now, we may not say this out loud, but we sort of gauge whether we enjoy, whether we're using our gifts based on how much joy we're getting out of when we're using them. 
And subtly, our gifts can become more about meeting our needs, our satisfaction, for us to feel good about serving rather than the needs of others. I think this is especially true when we're young and still trying to identify our gifts, and it often leads us to be very picky. And we, we, we can be quick to run to roles that we like instead of stepping in to serve in ways that are needed, which is often where we discover our gifts. I'm guessing some of you here have the gift of hospitality, but you don't know it because it just seems like a lot of work to invite people over. And your schedule is really busy. And I just don't, I don't know, I don't think we really want to do that. And the gift of hospitality is left unknown and underutilized for our congregation because you just don't think that sounds fun. Some of you probably have the gift of teaching and don't know it because the thought of serving as a teacher with children seems way too scary. And so you never discover this gift. You never know how God has specifically prepared you to speak into the life of someone here in the congregation, specifically a child or student who is waiting for you to serve in that capacity. Students, as you're here, I'm guessing some of you have the gift of mercy and compassion. And your heart aches for those in your school who aren't in the in group. But it feels risky and uncomfortable for you to reach out to them. And so you'll never discover that gift in you until you do. So let me just ask you for a moment. Are you taking risks and discovering your gifts? Are you using your gifts for the good of others or primarily for your own good? You're closely tied into this, and I think it's sort of a, a, a very connected aspect of this is the second question is, are you using your gifts to show off? Have my gifts become a way for me to impress people, to have them like me, to gain approval, to be able to network and better my business, better my life? Or am I thinking of the good of others? Now, I recognize that these questions that we've just talked about are difficult to answer on the spot. And I, and I think difficult to answer on our own. And I imagine that the Christians in Corinth thought that their speaking in tongues at the service was a good thing for others. So you, you may need to think longer and deeper and for a more extended time about these questions, seek the input of friends. Ask God to reveal the motives of your heart. But whatever you do, church, don't ignore these questions. Our gifts are for the good of all. Paul gives us another way that our gifts are to be utilized. He says that our gifts are to help others encounter God. You see, when we're using our gifts... One of the evidences is that we should see God at work in the lives and hearts of the people that we're in, in contact with. This is, there should be fundamental evidence of the ways others around us are encountering God. Look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, 
will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart's his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, the tongue-speaking Christians had made their gathering prim- primarily about strengthening themselves, about their own growth. And Paul wants them to clearly see that our gifts are to help others encounter God. Paul makes it clear that here's what they are practicing this, this gift of tongues is actually turning people off and turning people away. And he raises this common tension in the church, a tension between the heart and the mind. You'll see that there. You'll see heart language. You'll see mind language all throughout chapter 14. And so it, it begs a question, are our gatherings here on Sunday morning a time for us to engage our mind and think through what is being said and how God is speaking? Or are our gatherings to be a time when our hearts are enlivened and we deeply feel the presence of God amongst us? You probably know the answer. The answer is yes. It has to be both. But when you combine the gift of tongues with a belief that it is the greater gift and a personal longing for a new experience of the heart, you can easily begin to lose focus on the purpose of the gifts, and that is to help others encounter God. Theologian Don Carson was helpful to me with this passage in his book, Showing the Spirit, when he wrote, whatever the place for profound personal experience and corporate emotional experience, the assembled church is the place for intelligibility. Our God is a thinking, speaking God, and if we will know Him, we must learn to think His thoughts after Him. He's saying it must be both this emotional experience and this mindful, thoughtful experience. But if we miss the thoughtful, it's not accomplishing the purposes of God. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. And we here at Christ Community, we long for our gatherings to engage both the heart and mind and to be a place of intelligibility. This is one of the reasons that we work so hard as a church to gather our teachers together to study and prepare for our messages across campuses. Individually, we submit how we believe that God is speaking to us through the text to the team for their review, their response, their input. Collectively and individually, we recognize that we are broken and sinful people who are not perfect in any way. And part of this understanding of our brokenness and sinfulness is a recognition that we all approach insight that we're receiving from God as a gift from God and with a caution of our sinfulness. And we hope and pray that what emerges is intelligible and engages the heart and the mind. You see, one of the things that prevents the engagement of the heart and mind are barriers that we construct as a church, as individuals, barriers that we construct for people who are new to the church. And this seems to be a significant problem for the church in Corinth. Think with me here for a moment. The way Paul writes about tongues, it seems as if, uh, this is going to take a little bit of logical thought, if 
the way Paul writes about tongues, it seems as if if tongues are properly interpreted, that it would be very close to the gift of prophecy. And yet, even interpreted tongues and prophecy, he's still not sure about tongues and the practice of tongues and the way they take place in the service. And he's limiting their, the role that they are to play. So why is this? Well, I think there's one simple reason. <laughs> People will think we're crazy. I mean, it's right there in the text. You see it in verse 23. He says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Paul lets them know that they're not helping others encounter God that actually the opposite is happening. People think they're crazy. They're actually turning them off. And Paul wants them to know that the exact opposite should be happening. Those who are new to us, to the church, the gospel, should not only feel welcomed, but should also feel, feel convicted as they encounter God with us. You see, as God begins to reveal himself to us and we realize the depth of our own sinfulness, Paul says it will be like the deepest, the deepest secrets of our heart are laid bare. And we'll be, we will be moved with heart and mind to begin to worship God. Now, I was thinking through this this week, and I, I know what some of you may be thinking at this moment. And it is, let me just try to dig in here a moment. Doesn't God's word turn people off? Isn't the gospel countercultural? And because of this, aren't people going to always think of followers of Jesus as being crazy? Those are really good questions. If you're thinking those, if you're, if you, eventually you'll probably get there. Really good questions. Because you see, one thing we can't give up is a clear proclamation of the gospel, intelligible proclamation of God's word, even if people think as we're communicating it that we're weird. But as I've heard it said before, the gospel will offend, but God's people should not be offensive. We should be doing all we can to remove barriers in order to help others encounter God. So let me just dig in this morning with just a couple of questions. What barriers do we create to make it difficult for others to encounter God? Now, I think it's safe to say that if Paul were to write us a letter, he probably wouldn't write to us with concern about the outlandish ways that tongues are used here in the service. But what are his barriers? What would he address with us? The unfortunate truth is that we often don't see these barriers that we've constructed because we're only thinking about ourselves. And I believe that we both collectively and individually need to give this some good thought. What barriers have you constructed for unbelievers? What are you doing that's actually preventing them from encountering God? You know, one of the things I think we as a church have to be careful about is our language. We can toss around big words or sort of Christian lingo, theological language, create our own insider language that people just sort of look and feel out of the club. It's like we're not part of that. And we sub subtly sh shut them out. And unfortunately, at times we do it intentionally to show how spiritual we are. Not a lot different than what's happening here in the church in Corinth. 
we must get past ourselves and recognize that our gifts are given for the purposes of helping others encounter God. But for some of us, this is a stretch. A stretch to think that God would actually use me or use you for the purpose of someone else encountering God, which leads us to another important reflection question for this morning. Do you believe that God can actually use you to change hearts and minds? We as a church believe that God actually longs for each of us to be used for this purpose, for the good of all. And this includes God using you to change the hearts and minds of your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, the person sitting near you this morning who may be wondering today if God is real. He wants to use us all in that way. This is one of the purposes of the gifts. Finally, Paul wants us to know that this, that our gifts are to bring peace. And as we've heard, this is not what's happening in Corinth. It was more chaos than peace. And so Paul takes time in his letter to give them some instructions on how to conduct their services. It actually, if you read through this entire section, it, it seems pedantic. It's almost like, you know, really? You're just going to go to this sort of language? Look with me at verse 26. What then, brothers... Listen to his instruction. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Paul stresses here that order is good. Limitations are good. There should be patterns and planning and discipline all for the good of others all to bring about peace. Even the way a service is constructed and ordered ought to tell us about God. That God is not a God of chaos, not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And for some of you, when you hear this, and you hear this word peace spoken, all you can think about is how much you long for peace. Because your life is anything but peaceful. And more often than not, your life is described by chaos and confusion. But the Christian life should be described by peace. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. Jesus lived to show us the way to peace. He died to bring us peace. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied that the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, that when he came, that he would guide us in the way of peace. When Jesus gathered his disciples together before he was crucified, he tried to tell them what he was doing, what was coming forward, and why he was doing it. And he told them this. He said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. As we see the church beginning in the book of Acts, we find pre Peter preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us peace to remove the chaos of our own self-salvation project, to eliminate the craziness of our busy schedules that are fueled by the fear of missing out, 
to wipe away the endless striving that caused by our desires to get ahead in the game of life. And if you're sitting here this morning and experiencing chaos and confusion in your life, and if it's true that God is not a God of confusion and chaos, but of peace, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what are we missing? How might God want to bring peace to our community in this place, in our lives? And one way he wants to do this is through the gifts. The gifts that he's given to you and to me and to us as a church, our gifts should bring peace. So let me just, as we close, ask two questions. How are your gifts bringing peace? And what action step will you take this week to use your gifts for the good of others? Hopefully over the last four weeks, you've grown in your understanding of the spiritual gifts and possibly even in your conversations with your community groups and with your friends, you've discovered in new ways an understanding of your own giftedness. But let's remember that the goal of our gifts is to build up the church. And that means they are meant to be used. So just think of one thing for this week. One step you will take for the good of others in the week ahead. May God be glorified in us and in his church. Let's pray together. Father, we long to be people that you use for your purposes. We are in awe of the way that you so generously give to us gifts for that purpose. And Father, we come to you recognizing that it's not about us. Forgive us for the ways that we turn that and are prideful and seek out our own satisfaction or the notice of others. Lord, remind us that it is about others. Show us places to serve. Help us to discover gifts in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of joy. Put us to good use. Lord, I pray this week that you would give us eyes to see the ways that you would want us to exercise our gifts, to begin to practice what you've given us, to be generous back in ways that you were generous to us. And Lord, may this place be a place of peace, a place that calls people out of chaos and confusion and points them to the one who came and died for us to show us the way of peace. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.